This Woman Over 70 podcast is sponsored by Vesta, a woman-owned kitchen and bath design firm in Chicago. Award-winning founder Colette Rodon-Hornoff and her team offer a collaborative and detail-oriented approach that turns your vision into a space you will love. Through design, measurement, and construction, you can count on Vesta to bring your dreams to reality. Visit Vesta online at vestachicago.com or call 773-252-7300. Let Vesta infuse your home with warmth and welcome. Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. We're excited to be in our fourth year, and this has been a labor of love that now needs your support. We urge you to join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, or make a donation so we may continue to inspire women to age with purpose, resilience, and self-care. Visit womenover70.com and join today. And today we're excited to bring Connie Kias into the studio. Connie is 74, and we met her at our 200th episode event. Connie's parents were immigrants from Greece and Macedonia. The family settled in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and at 18, Connie left home and has been on a lifelong quest to understand who she is and where she belongs She says she has been learning her entire life. Writing, reading, and learning are the three ways Connie uses to explore why she feels different. She recognizes that life is impermanent and embraces each day with tolerance. Most importantly, she refuses to be put in a box. Women mentors have been present throughout Connie's life, and forming friendship groups fills voids. In 1975, she started a book group with a friend that reads women authors. And in 2016, she co-created a reading group with one of the owners of Women and Children First Bookstore in Andersonville called Women Aging with Wisdom and Grace. Connie, it's clear that you are creative, you're thoughtful, and that you take the initiative to make your life purposeful. We're so happy to welcome you to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited to be here, too, and have this conversation, uh, which is a continuation of conversations I often have with uh, very close friends I've had for 40, 50 years. We're constantly trying to figure out uh, who we are and where we belong, and it's an ongoing, lifelong uh, journey, I would say. Right. Yeah. When you when you and I spoke, uh, you talked about women and what's expected of us. So we'd love to have you say some more on that. Well, definitely. I grew up in an immigrant household and the first women I saw, of course, were my mother, my grandmothers, my aunts. And we were pretty insulated. Anybody outside our immediate family was considered a stranger. So in the 18 years that I lived, in Bridgeport, I did never not sleep in my own bed. There were no sleepovers. There were not going upstairs to sleep with my cousin. You know, it was sort of like, you're lucky enough to have a bed, sleep in it so we can know where you are. And my parents' defense, you know, they, they grew up in wartime. Uh, 
and they were very, uh, very frightened for us and wanted us close by. And that was the only way that they knew how to be. And my mom was very subservient to my dad. It was an arranged marriage. Uh, it was an unhappy match. And um, my dad was 13 years older. And he was a pretty traditional domineering dad. And my mom was very uh, submissive and subservient to him. So my whole growing up, I'm not going to be like her. I'm not going to be like her. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it was like my first role models were not ones that I really, really uh, could identify with. So I was determined to leave home in 18. And I did. I joined VISTA, Volunteers in Service to America. And the world opened up to me. I never truly felt like I belonged in that family. Um, I, I'm not sure why, except for the the sort of closed-in, boxed-in feeling that I got. Uh, things were so rigid and things, you know, just uh, didn't work yeah. for me. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when I joined Vista, the world opened up to me. I saw, met lifelong friends that were to become lifelong friends. I, you know, worked in a settlement house in Columbus, Ohio, saw a whole other part of the world. And that's what I dreamed of, just seeing different parts of the world. Um, then later I wound up back in Chicago. Uh, we did our VISTA training here, and then I wound up back here. And um, I got a, I, I went to Circle, and I got into the women's movement, and that was a whole other door that opened up to me of uh, the kind of woman that I could be. You know? uh, so it was a very exciting time, the 60s, the 70s. Uh, uh-huh. of, uh, you know, there were many many of us who were questioning where do we belong what do we want to do so i was fortunate i think to live in that time where we could ask those questions and right. have other people respond you know other people sure and and i'm wondering did, did you have uh did you have siblings yes uh one sister and two brothers i was the oldest and uh i was called imigali or the big one as they say in greece i was responsible for the other three uh, something that I was not really good at mm-hmm. and was not interested in doing. Um, later in life, I, I did kind of watch over my adult siblings. Sadly, uh, two of them, my sister died and my brother died. So um, my youngest brother uh, is alive and so am I. So I like to call us the bookends, you know, <laughs> the beginning and the end. So um, I've had a lot of people die in my life and it's... Um, as we get older, you know, our own mortality comes up and also how to deal with the grief, uh, how we as women deal with, with with grief and people leaving and our own leaving. So anyways, uh, kind of a long-winded winded answer to the question. But no, so but- I, may I ask a question? Connie, I just wanted to go back to the women's movement. Um, yes. In what ways were you involved? Well, I got... Um, I got involved with some women at Circle, and um, we started a women's new, one of the first women's newspapers in Chicago called the Feminist Voice, mm-hmm. um, and that lasted a couple of years. We we uh, printed, uh, we had it printed, we wrote the articles, we went around, sold the paper for a quarter, um, and there were other women's newspapers coming up at that time. That was an exciting time. The consciousness raising groups. Um, eventually, uh, my friend and I uh, started a women's book group. 
which at that time, this was pre-Oprah, remember? <laughs> and I remember asking my friends, I said, well, you know, because we started reading women in college and it was exciting and we wanted to talk to other women about what we read. And I remember turning to her and asking her, well, what happens when we run out of women to read? <laughs> and and uh, we're still going strong 47 years later and we haven't run out of women to read. So um, that's exciting. Are you reading fiction and nonfiction? Yes. We try to com uh, we try to combine it. Yes. Okay. Does anyone stand um, out for you specifically? Any author? Any woman author, yeah. Well, Doris Grumbach, who uh, she she and I corresponded, she died at 104 <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Doris Grumbach well, uh, was a book reviewer for the New York Times, and she was a writer for many magazines. Uh, she was married for many years, uh, had four daughters, I believe, got divorced and wound up um with this woman named Sybil, who became her lifelong partner. They moved from DC and went up to Maine, opened up another bookstore there. And um, she just wrote and wrote and wrote these great memoirs coming into the end zone, a, a solitary or uh, something about uh, a life in the day. And then um, pleasure of their company when she was 80. She figured, well, this is kind of it. I'm winding down. I probably won't have another birthday. And so she talks about preparing for, reviewing her life and preparing for this party. Mm. And um, she lived another 24 years. <laughs> <laughs> so she's one of my heroes. Um, I love her. Um, I love uh, my very first book love, book author love, is Carson McCullers, The Heart of the Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Mm -hmm. In high school, I remember as a junior, Mrs. Silver, every Friday afternoon, reading that uh, chapter to us every Friday. And that really opened my eyes to the world. I just felt the greatest empathy for every human soul on this earth. She covers everybody in that book. Um, I love her. And then also at the same time, I wrote a story, my first story in my junior year called Trapped. And it was about a young girl trying to leave home and uh, she didn't know whether she could do it or not. So, you know, I was I was thinking about escaping and leaving and just discovering things on my own, which, of course, was not done at that time, um, especially mm -hmm. in ethnic families, although my parents were very uh, big on educating on education and us to be educated uh but they wanted us close to home and um you know kind of uh yeah yeah but that wasn't <laughs> what i wanted to do so um i always said if i had two lives i'd gladly give them one and i'd keep the one i have it's <laughs> a great way to look at it yeah <laughs> So you you were married, right? And you had two children. Yes, yes. I married in my thirties, um, and uh, we yes had a couple of children. Um, uh -huh. A decade later, after infertility of my thirties, um, we adopted two children at birth domestically, and it was a wonderful experience. Um, well, I was in college at Goddard. I got pregnant uh, in the 60s, late 60s, and uh, there weren't there wasn't much choice at that time. So um, I did have my child, and I figured the best thing to do at that time for me 
And for her was to give her up to adoption. So that's what I did. Mm. So I have three children, one by birth and two by adoption. And um, I'm close to all three. So I'm, I'm glad about that. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was uh, I was married almost 30 years. And then we just drifted apart. I mean, he's a wonderful man. Um, it just drifted apart. And um, I still want to live my life in my 60s. So. Um, and the kids were grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I left and I started a relationship with a woman. Um, uh, funny enough, it was a woman that I, my first great love was in high school. Oh, my. And this same woman uh, I reconnected with and we got together and um, lasted about seven years. So that was a good experience. Um, yeah, that's another. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> just, I feel like I'm rambling on. No, no, d- different facets of your life. It's fascinating. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I, I guess I'm just curious. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But the child that you gave up for adoption, mm-hmm. how how is it that you were able to stay close to her or him? Well, it was uh, her. Uh, it was not an easy chore to find her. Uh, there were closed records. I spent many years uh, searching for her uh, later in life, and I ran into a lot of obstacles. But I was uh, one thing my father was, he was persistent and very stubborn. And I got that from him, and I was determined to find her. And after oh, you know, over 10 years, I did find her. Um, and it took a long while. It took decades, but now we're we have a comfortable relationship, so I'm happy about that. Uh huh. Very nice. Yes. <laughs> and I have um, with both of my children. They're both open adoptions, which is the only way I could do that. Um, I don't believe that that children should be not know uh, their birth parents. Mm-hmm. And if not possible not to know them or be part of the family, then at least know the information, you know, something. They're, they're, that primal wound, I don't think, goes away right. for children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we uh, well, there's someone that I know who was a legislature, legislator here, and she worked very hard to get open adoption in Illinois. Good. Good. Yeah, yeah. You've had a really varied career. I was so interested to hear about various aspects of it. You you were a librarian. You were an author. You mentioned you were in the Vista Peace Corps. You've been a group leader. So, and and it seems like there's common threads throughout all of that. You, you want to? Do you feel that way? I think so. I mean, even it's kind of been. I I worked in a library. I was not a librarian, although. I did contemplate going to library school, but by the time I did, it was no longer the library I grew up with, so <laughs> it wasn't that appealing. Um, I'd say work has been a backdrop for me. It hasn't been the dominant force in my life. I worked because I had to. Um, I was lucky enough not to have to work the first uh, 10 years of my children's lives, and um I was very active in their growing up and in their school and being on the local school council and all that. Um, 
I, you know, I, I've been, I was also in the travel business. I got to, to go to Africa, China, Europe, Mexico, you know, I mean, I, it was, but it's not work I loved, but the fringe benefits were wonderful. Um, I worked in schools here and there. I mean, I got a degree from Circle uh, in teaching of history, uh, which were a dime a dozen in the 70s. Um, so it wasn't easy, easy to get a job in that. Um, yeah, I, I had a, a smorgasbord of different jobs. I'd say the longest was probably seven, eight years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so work, I, I yeah, I don't know. I have to take that back. I don't know if there's a connecting theme in my work. I think my my overall work I always felt in my life is to figure out who I was and what that meant. And through my reading and through my writing, I really and through mentors, which we haven't talked about, and those are really crucial, plus friendships, but also older women. Mm -hmm. really encouraged me to write, encouraged me to read, encouraged me to travel. I mean, I just cannot, you know, they they were my uh, lifeboats uh, all throughout my life. I I really... um, And how did you find these mentors? Well, you know, in high school, a guidance counselor asked what, you know, what I wanted to do, and I said I didn't know, and, you know, I... You know, I complained about my family, and she sent me to the uh, International Institute, which dealt with immigrants. And um, Mm. I met uh, uh, Mrs. Arcudi, who was also an immigrant. So my guidance counselor thought she would be able to identify with my struggles. And indeed, she did, and she opened up a whole new world for me. I just love that woman to death. We known each other 55 years she died a couple of years ago and it's a definite heartache for me because she was one of my anchors Connie how Uh, did she open how did she open the world for you well she took me to my first art museum she took me to the first nice restaurants her house was filled with books we didn't have books in my home Uh, people sat around the table and talked about things Uh, they weren't uh, you know it was just a whole other way I I thought gee I can live this way too (laughs) so she was um, and then Mrs. Silver and my uh, my junior uh, high uh, teacher uh, my uh, yeah my junior English teacher she encouraged me to write Uh, that's why I wrote that story trapped and it got read at the junior mother's tea it was selected to be read by an actor um so she really encouraged me and uh uh, about 10 years ago i looked her up and uh we had a brief correspondence she had moved to california and i wanted to tell her how much she meant to me and she wrote back to me and she really appreciated that i reached out so i'd say in in a lot of uh, connections are what i'm looking for i've always looked for in my in my work uh, especially with students. Uh, I've done a lot of tutoring one-on-one. I'd love to do that. Now I'm volunteering um, with Central America teaching um, English to uh, immigrant adults. I love doing that. Um, so the connections between people, I think if I didn't have that in a job, which sometimes I didn't, uh, it was not fulfilling for me. So uh 
Yeah, that's that's why these groups are fascinating to me. The the book group and the uh, wisdom group that I uh, started with Lynn at the bookstore, it's um, it's more of a conversation about how we feel, uh, you know, at this age, at this stage in our lives. You know, we've got women sometimes in 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, um, quite a quite a nice mix of, of ages. I just love that. I, I love the conversation because I think that that's, we can be our truer selves if we're in a group where everybody feels safe and, you know, we're talking honestly about what we're going through. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in superficial conversation so much. So. Is is that separate from the from the reading group or or the yes. book group? Yes, the book group is that. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I, I wanted a discussion group. Uh, books. We have a book. It's kind of a takeoff point. So we we. Uh, take some issues out of that and that kind of jump starts the conversation. But that uh, wisdom group, it's not necessary to have read the book to be able to talk about these topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You, <laughs> it's, um, you know, they say that friendships for women are especially important at all ages and that yes. as, you, as you age, it becomes even more important. And yeah. that's definitely true. Yeah. Although I've had some very close male friendships also who were mentors. I, you know, I just, um, yes, sure. Yeah. yeah. One thing about uh, the, the women's movement and just identity is that that was also at times a struggle to be myself and not there was, you know, that rigidity in the sixties and seventies, especially being bisexual. And still today, it's like, Oh, pick a side, you know, (laughs) don't be on the fence. And I think that mentality is still there. Mm -hmm. And um, I rebel against that. I have ever since, uh, you know, I was much younger, but I resist the labels of, of being, you know, I'm a human being before I'm a woman. <laughs> you know? uh, so don't box me in and, and think you got me figured out, you know, by, by your labels. So I, I really, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, we uh, we talked a little bit about how, you, you know, your thoughts around aging. And in the few minutes we have left, we'd love to hear from you about that. Um, well, I, I I think with as we age, as I age, certainly I'm doing a lot of reviewing of what's happened in the past. I have a greater appreciation for my parents and their struggles, and my siblings. Um, greater acceptance of of what's happened, and also a, a great desire to still live. I'm still passionate about things. Um, as we used to say in the 60s, uh, you know, life's a trip. <laughs> it's a great trip. <laughs> and um, I, I'm still excited about things. And I think it um, breaks my heart that communication has broken down, you know, between people and between women of different ages and stuff. I mean, it's like we need to really listen and hear each other. You know, it's just... That's what we were doing in the women's movement, I thought. It's just breaking down those barriers of, of who we're supposed to be and who we are and all of this. Just sit down and listen. 
Mm -hmm. And don't get so excited about the minutia. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. So yeah. I and also mortality is big. And like I've said, I've lost a lot of close people. And I think those people I realized uh, stay with me. They're still with me. And I do, you know, my sister's been gone uh, over 20 years. I miss her almost every day. It's just, that's just the way it is. There's no getting over it. I think mm -hmm. there's a phrase, um, what is it? People do not pass away. They die and then they stay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that's so true uh, of, of people that have touched us. Right. Right. You hear that over and over again. I know that's the same way with me and my husband who died 12 years ago. Uh, he's with me every day. Yes. And uh, we have great conversations. <laughs> yes, I think that's true. Conversations. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's definitely a connection we never lose. Um, the other, maybe, uh, Another favorite uh, is poet Mary Oliver. And I live in Rogers Park, and there's an artist's wall that gets painted every year, Father's Day weekend. And somebody did some wonderful flowers, and she put a Mary Oliver poem. It's a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in this broken world. Mm. <laughs> it's a serious thing just to be alive. And it is. Life is precious. Yes, it is. What's next for you, Connie? Um, well, that's a good question. <laughs> that's one I'm pondering. I mean, I'm still active in these groups and volunteering and, and walking and, and uh, just waiting, kind of figuring out what is next. Um, I'm continuing my writing. Uh, I've got a studio space with an artist friend of mine where I'm Figuring out how, how to use the artifacts of my past into creating something, uh, something different uh, to combine with my words. So I'm interested in art and words and how they get together. I've got documents. I, I've created a display with an old doll's trunk of my parents' uh, documents and photographs and wedding pictures. And it's kind of cool. I get excited about creating things. So. I suppose that's what I'm working on now and will continue to do so because I have saved everything. <laughs> <laughs> I have my parents' stuff. I have my sisters, my brothers, and uh, they're all precious and I feel connected to them. So I'd like to honor them like I honored my parents uh, with this recent Dallas Trunk display that I did of all their, their uh, photos and passports and mm. What did you call it, Connie? Uh, it's it's called the doll's trunk because a friend of mine gave me a hundred year old doll's trunk, and I was trying to figure out what to do with it. And so then I, uh, you know, I rediscovered passports, photos, my mother's mm -hmm. wedding thing she still had, uh, you know, all kinds. So I made a display in this trunk, of, uh, and I did it as a tribute to my parents. Oh. Uh, Sounds like it should be in an in an art studio or on display somewhere. Well, it is at uh, at the Greenleaf Art Center. My artist friend and I share a studio space mm -hmm. where she paints, and then I puts around with all this these different ideas I have. But it is a, a it's a wonderful uh, Greenleaf Art Center has about uh, forty different studios in there twice a year. They have 
open house where you can come in and out and see people's work. And where so, is that, Connie? It's um, it's Greenleaf and Clark Street in Rogers Park. Okay. Oh, good to see that. Maybe 1324 Greenleaf. Yeah, I'm not, I forgot the address, but mm -hmm. it's right above Clark and Greenleaf. It's, it's a okay. great place. Well, be sure to put us on your on your uh, mailing list so that we, we uh, yes. know about it when it happens. Yes, every spring and every fall. Yeah. So in May, yeah, I can send you a. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Catherine, any more comments? Uh, no, I. It's just really fascinating to to listen to you and hear about all the different aspects of your life and and your attitude about now and the future. And I, I love your the way you're re reclaiming the history, your history, your legacies. So it's really lovely. Yes. Yes. Um, I also was learning Greek finally. To um, I went to Greece several times, so I'm reclaiming mm. my original origins. <laughs> Did you speak Greek uh, when you were growing uh, up? Broken, broken. My parents encouraged us to speak English, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, broke. I'd say broken Greek, but I can communicate. So I, I'm proud of that. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for being here with us today. Well, good. I, I hope some of it made sense. I feel like I'm rambling on because usually I'll, I'll think about what I want to say. And this time I just kind of went on and on. And I thought, what are you saying, <laughs> <laughs> it was It was very interesting. It's fascinating. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm glad you thought so. So at the beginning of the podcast, we urged you to join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund. Aging Reimagined Circle hosts our monthly interactive programs. We invite you to engage in these probing discussions and lend your voice to these important conversations about issues that matter to women aging. Visit womenover70.com to join.